Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. Is that anybody else? Yes, you try to be more cheerful. Sometimes it's hard, right? But you try to look on the brighter side, right? And, and I think uh, during this, this time, especially, we, we try to look at the blessings that we have from God and, and the things that God has given us. And we try to be more grateful during this time of the year more than any, any other time. We'll try to be a little bit more conscious of His blessing. And Faith and I were having a conversation this week because we've been talking about blessings. And, and she said to me, she asked me this question. I thought it was a really good question. She said, what does it look like to be grateful to Jesus? What does it look like? I mean, we all know that we should be grateful to Jesus. We should have thanksgiving towards God. But what does that tangibly look like in our lives? And so I thought it was such a great question. I thought that we'll spend most of the rest of our time this morning in the message answering that question. What does it look like to be grateful to Jesus for all the things that he's given to us? How many of you know that's a good question to ask ourselves? So you can thank my wife for this message. And if it's no good, you can blame her. All right, so we're going to... Jump in. We're going to answer this question, what does it look like to be grateful to Jesus by, by reviewing a story out of the Old Testament, and it's 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's found there. So if you have your Bibles, you can open there to that. If you, have, if you use a smartphone and use the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that, just click on the More tab and find Events, and you'll find Central Valley Church. That is also the app my dad was mentioning where you can give online as well if you want to donate uh, funds towards this meal today. You can scroll down and, you, and look for the Thanksgiving meal and donate there as well. So while you're finding that, let's go ahead and pray together before we jump into the word this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence that is here right now with us. We thank you, Lord, that you're in our midst, God. And we ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us more tangibly and more real, God, than ever before as we open up your word, God, to see what it says about you and what it says to us. Help us, Father, to follow closely after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting in chapter 9, 2 Samuel, verse 1, David, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, by the show of hands, how many of you know the story of King Saul and Jonathan and King David? Do you guys know that story? All right, uh, some of you. So I'm going to give a, a quick recap of that, all right? So King Saul, he's the first king of Israel. The people of Israel, they say, we want a king like every other nation. And God was like, hold up, I thought I was your king. But they say, no, we want a man to represent us. So he appoints Saul to be the king over Israel. And he does a, a fairly good job at the beginning. But then because of disobedience and because of fear and maybe some pride, he disobeys God's command. And after doing that, God says, all right, you're obviously, you're not going to follow me. So I have to give the kingdom to somebody who's going to have a heart that's after mine. And he takes the kingdom away from Saul. And he has the prophet Samuel, who we believe wrote this book. He goes and he anoints David as king when he's still a small boy in his father's house as he's shepherding sheep. Right? You know that part of the story. David, though, he doesn't take the kingship right away. In fact, before there's a transition of power, David and Saul have a relationship. In fact, when David fights Goliath, it's King Saul who is there who tries to put his armor on David to defeat the giants that Saul should have defeated for himself. 
David is the one who comes in and defeats the giants that Saul should have. And after that, then David marries into the kingdom, into the king's family. He marries Saul's daughter and becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. All the while, Saul is trying to kill David. And David is running. He's on the land. He's running and hiding. He's in tombs. He's in, he's in caves. He's all over the place trying to keep himself safe and alive while King Saul is still ruling and hunting after him because of jealousy because he knows David's going to be the new king. So be, before there's a transition of power, there's all this relationship going on. And finally, when the transition does happen, David doesn't take it by force. He waits for God to appoint him to that position. He doesn't come in like, uh, he doesn't usurp the authority that is still over him, even though the authority over him is evil. There's a message. He waits for God to do it, and it's in a battle that Jonathan and Saul are fighting in against the Philistine armies that they both get killed in 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 that battle. David gets word, and he becomes the king. Anytime there was a transition of power from one king to the other, Most kings in that day would go in and wipe out the rest of the family, especially the male heirs, so they wouldn't have a claim to the throne. So they would go out and kill all of them. And there's a story that we're about to read about, David wanting to honor somebody in this family that that he kept alive. He He didn't wipe out the family of Saul like all the other people would have done when there was a transition of power. He didn't do that. In fact, David says, I want to honor the previous king. I want to bestow value on the family of the previous king. I don't want to come in and wipe them all out. And so he sought after somebody that he could honor and love on. And David tells us the reason why he wanted to do that is for Jonathan's sake, the king's son, his best friend. What we know about Jonathan is that Jonathan was David's best friend. At least in one occasion, he saved David's life. He warned him of attack that his father was going to have on him, and David was able to flee. So David had a a grateful relationship between Jonathan and David. David could have been at war with Jonathan because Jonathan was supposed to be the next heir to the throne, but Jonathan didn't do that. He recognized God's hand upon David, and so he said, whatever you need, I'll help you. Whatever you need. So there was grace given to David from Jonathan. And David was grateful to that. And so he wanted to show what his gratitude looked like. So David asks this servant, if there's any descendants of Saul or Jonathan that he can honor. And this servant named Ziba. So I just want to make a quick note here. Any of you who are expecting children, Ziba is a great name. Ziba, if you're thinking of names, what should I name? Josh is a great name. And Ziba, okay? Just throwing it out there. I want to just let you know, okay? So Ziba, the servant, says, yes, there's one. Here's a better name than, than Ziba, Mephibosheth. In fact, I would choose that name over Ziba, okay? If you're going to name your child, this newborn that's coming into the world, Mephibosheth. We'll call him Mephibs for short, okay? What's up, Mephibs? You know? I don't know. Just throwing it out there. He says, yes, there's a, there's a Mephibosheth. He says he's lame in his feet, and he lives in Lodabar. What does the Bible tell us about Mephibosheth? He's the son of Jonathan, and he's crippled in his feet. Do you know how he got crippled in his feet? Because when there was a transition of power, his nanny or his nurse 
thinking that David was like any other king, was going to come in and wipe out the entire family of Saul. So she picked him up as a little baby, as a little boy, and began to run out of the king's house to try to save his life. In the process of running and fleeing for their lives, she drops him, crippling his feet, shattering his ankles, and they can't, they, they can't heal it. So because of that, him trying to flee for his life, he becomes crippled because his father's disobedience loses the kingdom and now he's paying the consequence by being crippled for life. And this is Mephibosheth that we hear about. Feet shattered. I, I, I try to imagine Mephibosheth's life. Can you think about it? Grandson of the king, everything at your disposal. Whatever you want, you've got it. He's, he's second in line to the kingdom. And in a moment, he loses everything. And not only does he lose his inheritance, he loses his ability to even walk for himself, care for himself, or provide for himself. He's been crippled. He can't work. He is destined to a life of begging in a moment. I try to imagine what it would be like to be Mephibosheth. The Bible tells us that he lives in this place called Lodabar. Now, I know we have at least one Hebrew scholar in here that would be able to tell us, our dear friend Lara, Try to put you on the, on the spot, but don't tell me if I'm wrong, okay? I'm just putting it out there. But this is what debar means. Debar in Hebrew means a thing or word. And lo would be the negative of it, like saying no. So Mephibosheth, not only has he lost his inheritance, he's crippled, can't provide for himself, can't work for himself. He lives in a place called nothing. He's, that's, where God, that's where David finds him, and nothing. And says, you, you don't deserve nothing. You don't deserve to be out stranded and without an inheritance. So he says to the servant Ziba, bring Mephibosheth to me. Because I want to honor him in the king's house. I want to give him what belongs to him. I want to help him remember his worth and his value. David wanted to honor him and care for him and be generous to him. In verse 6 it says this, when Mephibosheth son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down and paid honor. And David calls his name Mephibosheth. And he says, at your service. David tells him, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Giving him a place of honor. Verse 8 says this, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat. At my table. So David, because of his relationship with Mephibosheth's father, was generous to him and gave him a place of honor at his table. Now, how does this story answer the question that I asked this morning? What does it look like to be grateful to Jesus? See, my task this morning is to bridge these two worlds together, to draw a parallel between them. So I'm going to do that this morning. Are you ready? How many of you are excited that you see the whiteboard? 
If nothing else, I'm excited for the whiteboard. This is my favorite thing in church, y'all. I mean, besides you and the Spirit of God. Uh, after that, the whiteboard is my favorite thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw some parallels. I was joking about the whiteboard, but I do enjoy it. All right. Are you guys ready to see the parallels here? I'm gonna, now, these parallels are, are metaphors, and, and speaking metaphorically means that when you're, when you're relating some things through metaphor, it, it means it's not going to be perfect. It's imperfect. Metaphors don't reveal or don't, don't provide the entire truth, but they help us see the truth more clearly. So we're going to look at this and kind of draw the parallels there and see the relationship that we find. So the first person that we have, we've got, we've got Saul and Jonathan, right? And Jonathan is the son of the king. Okay. Now we have uh, David, who is the new king. And he's generous to Mephibosheth. I'm going to say Mephib. He receives an inheritance. Because of David's relationship with Jonathan and the grace that Jonathan bestowed on David, David is grateful, and in his gratefulness, he is generous to the son of Jonathan. Yeah? So here's, here's one parallel that we can make. Jonathan, he could stand in the place of Jesus, who is the rightful king, who gives his grace to us, makes us co-heirs with him. So we rule in his kingdom as kings and queens in the kingdom of God. Amen. We know this. The Bible tells us. And those Mephibosheths are those who are without word and without a thing, right? He lives in Lodabar. Can't provide for himself. Can't, he's crippled by something. So our relationship with Jesus, because of his grace towards us, we're grateful to him, yes? And if the parallel rings true, then we then are generous towards those who have not the word of God or anything in their lives to show for it. The reason David was honoring Mephibosheth is because he was related to Jonathan. The reason we show generosity to others is because Jesus denotes their value. Who, who does Jesus say is worthy of his love or worthy of, of, of his sacrifice? Well, thanks to Tim Tebow, we know this verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus would say, my, my family is the world, and I want you to show them honor. I want you to be generous to them. I want you to love them like I love them. 
I want you to give them a place at your table. I want you to invite them into your homes. I want you to invite them into your, into your lives and care for them regardless of what's going on in their life. Regardless if they've been crippled by things in their life. I want you to bring them in. That's a good parallel. Would you agree? That's a good way of seeing it. I also think there's another parallel. So let's do another one. If that was the only parallel we saw, it would be good. I think that's a good word, if I'm saying so myself. But all that leaves us with is do better at showing people love, right? But Jesus does more than just tell us to do better. Jesus shows us how to be better. So, so I think there's a bigger connection than, than, than that parallel. Because in that, in that parallel, David and us are, are, are on the same level. And it kind of makes us the, the hero of the story, doesn't it? When we read the scriptures, we should never be the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero of the story. He's always the hero. So this is what I, this is what I see. I see. I see Saul again. He's the first king. Right? The first king over God's people, over God's inheritance, over God's land. It takes me back to Genesis where God created Adam and Eve to be the first over all creation, right? But because of disobedience, they lose their kingdom. So, so God tells Saul, I'm going to give it to another who has a heart after me, who knows my heart. He tells Eve in the garden, you gave it away, but I'm going to give it to another. Who, and he tells the, the serpent, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. He gives it to King Jesus. He's our new king. He gives us new authority, new hope, a new future. You have Mephibosheth, who's crippled without inheritance. And you have us who have been crippled by sin and we have lost our inheritance because of the sin of our fathers. And Jesus says, like David, I want to restore to you what has been lost to you. What your father lost in the garden, I have earned back in the garden. What your father gave away in Eden, I restored at Gethsemane. When I spill my blood for you on Calvary, I have given you a place at my table again. Where you thought you had no inheritance, I now give you an inheritance. I now give you a place at my table. In fact, when we, when we come to communion and have communion, it's called the Lord's table. It's his table that we come and dine at. It's his place that we come and he invites us in like David invited Mephibosheth to receive an inheritance he could not work for on his own. 
In fact, Jesus says, I will bring to you the harvest that you have not worked for. That's what David tells Mephibosheth. These others, the servants, my servants, will work the land and bring in the harvest for you because you can't get it on your own. Jesus says to us as followers of him, you can't be free from sin. It's been, or you, were, you were crippled by sin, but now I've made you free from it. You lost your inheritance, but now I give you an inheritance. And I'll give you a harvest that you did not work for. In this story, we are Mephibosheth. We're the ones in a moment that lost our inheritance. And some of us, not because of our own doing. Not because we've made bad choices and bad mistakes. Just because we grew up in a fallen and broken world and bad things happen. Even to good people. And we've become wounded, broken, and we find ourselves alone and feeling like we're nothing, living in low debar, with no worth and no value. And Jesus says, no, I come to restore your value and to restore your worth again. I come to invite you in to the, into the king's house again. Jesus here is the hero of the story. And because of his grace towards us, we respond in thanksgiving. And now he calls us to be co-heirs with him so that we can be generous for others so that they can see his grace and goodness and respond to Jesus. You know, there's a scripture that talks about that. I want to share it with you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church that he was bragging about their generosity to people, saying, man, this church gives like crazy. And then he tells them, hey, I'm sending you some people. Please don't make me a liar. <laughs> Please be generous with them. Because your generosity does more than you think and more than you know. So he says to, he says to them in verse 10, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food, who is that? That's God, that's Jesus, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What is Paul saying? You're enriched, you're, you're blessed, not so that you can hoard it, but so that you can give it away. You become a blessing so that, you, so that you can bless others. You receive a blessing from God so that you can bless others. You've been enriched in every way so that you can give to others. He says in verse 12, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He's saying not only... It's like he's saying, when you're, you're giving your tithe to the church, it's not only caring for the people in the church and keeping the lights on and paying the bills, but it overflows into the community around you. Because of your generosity, now others can know Jesus and experience His goodness and grace. So when we give to the Lord, it's just not so that we can sit comfortably, but it overflows into others. It overflows. He says, because of the service by which you proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that occupies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See, it was their generosity that revealed the goodness of God 
And it was that, that revelation that opened people up to the grace of God. And they responded to God with thanksgiving for the gifts of others that were generous. So our generosity is a, is a direct result of our gratitude to Jesus and for His grace and His love and mercy. If we are not generous, we need to go back and think, am I really grateful for what God has given to me? Am I really grateful? Or, I, or do I not truly believe that Jesus has provided for me and done all these things for me? If I, do I really believe that Jesus has restored what was taken from me? Do I really believe that Jesus came and made me, gave me an inheritance with him in the kingdom? If so, then what is earthly wealth if we have an eternal inheritance with the king? We can be generous with what we have here when we know that he's secured something for us greater in heaven. Our generosity is a direct result of receiving his grace and responding with thanksgiving. That's what I like to call the true OGs, the original G's, not gangsters, grace, gratefulness, and generosity. That's your three OGs, my friends. I want you to remember grace, gratitude, generosity. Grace, gratitude, generosity. If I've received his grace, then I should be grateful. And if I'm grateful, then I will be generous. What does it look like to be grateful to Jesus, it's to be generous with others. In the church and out of the church. Those who have the word and those who do not have the word. Those who have something and those who have nothing. Be generous with all as a reflection of the gratitude you have to your Father in heaven. It says in verse 14, And then their prayers for you their hearts will go out to you because of their surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Do you know that you are the inheritors of an indescribable gift today? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have something that's happened inside of you that is mysterious and miraculous all in a moment. Some of you might say, I've never experienced a miracle can I tell you the fact that you've been born again from darkness into light is the greatest miracle you'll ever experience in your entire life. It is the greatest thing that you'll ever experience. Any other physical healing and miraculous sign and wonder that we can experience here does not last for eternity. But your decision to follow Jesus will last for all eternity when you say, I give my heart to Jesus. It is the greatest miracle you'll ever receive. All other miracles are great and they give us a glimpse of what it will be like in heaven without, without pain or suffering. But know that salvation is the greatest miracle you'll ever receive. The greatest. Because of God's generous gift to us of His grace, through laying down of His Son's life for us, we can respond with generosity towards others. If God was willing to give His very best, should not we be willing to give our very best? If Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us, should we not also be willing to lay down whatever is in our way and lay down whatever we can to spread the good news? He says generosity is twofold in this passage of Scripture. It's sharing the gospel of Jesus and it's meeting needs. If you don't have both of those things, you're not truly being generous. We can have people in the church that say, well, I tell people about the Lord and I'll go out and 
you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll give tracts or whatever else, but if they're not caring for the needs of the person in front of them, they won't be heard over the growling of their stomach or the shivering of their body if they're cold. James tells us we care for the needs of others and give them the gospel. If we just care for the needs, we do good deeds, but we don't tell them why we're doing it, we're rob- robbing them of an eternal security with Jesus, wow. having eternity with Christ. So generosity is twofold, not just one or the other. It's both, and we live out both being generous today. I don't know about you, but I want to be generous today. Do you want to be generous? See, we're about to share a meal together today. That through your generosity by giving to the church, we're we're able to provide a, a Thanksgiving meal to all of us through generosity. We're caring for, our generosity is caring for each other. And in that, let our gratitude go towards God. And we're about to give out 25 Thanksgiving food boxes today to anybody who needs them. Because of your generosity, it's caring for others who will receive the grace of God and give thanks to God for your generosity. And I also want to share the good news with anybody who does not have a relationship with Jesus today. That Jesus has come to set you free. That Jesus has come to lay down his life so that you can have life. So that you don't have to be a person who has nothing in life. Even though you might have everything, you might have all material goods, but you might be dead inside because without Christ you don't have anything. But Jesus came and gave his life so that you could have life. You could be set free. And you wouldn't be crippled by sin anymore. This is the good news. And if you would put your trust in him, if you would humble yourself, like Mephibosheth did, and he came into the presence of King David, he bowed before him and says, I am your servant. Whatever you want, I'll do. He had humility. What is it that that you would be mindful of a dead dog like me? Why would you even allow me to be in your presence? That's humility. I don't say that you have to go around calling yourself a dead dog. I would actually say that you probably shouldn't. That would be kind of awkward in social settings. But you should come into the Lord with humility, saying, God, I am not worth your love. I am not worth your forgiveness, but yet you give it to me freely. And I accept and I will be your servant forever. Whatever you want, God. My life is yours. My heart is yours. My will, I submit to your will. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. That would help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.